You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. So, The Road to Emmaus is the series that we're in, and like the video said, uh, beginning with Moses and the prophets, the risen Jesus, walking with his disciples, taught them all of the things concerning himself in the Old Testament. So that's kind of the theme. Um, We're going through the Old Testament and looking how all of it points to Jesus. Um, I apologize. I wish I had a voice like the narrator. That would be, open your Bibles this morning, but I don't, so I have to deal with my voice. Um... So Exodus chapter 25 is where we're going to be this morning. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to uh, be in that and uh, kind of follow along with us. And uh, I'd like to just open with a word of prayer before we begin, if you don't mind. Father, uh, we thank you for um, this life for another day. Uh, We have breath, um, Jesus, the, the word that you have given us says that um, it is you that holds everything together, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, and we thank you that in your mercy and your grace, you continue to hold that together, you hold us together, you give us breath and give us bread and take care of us, Lord, um, beyond what we deserve, and so we thank you for that. We just come humbly this morning. Um, just, we want to be broken and empty, realizing, God, that the only, we can't do anything for ourselves, ultimately. And we can try in our own strength, but we'll never find happiness. We'll never find satisfaction apart from your son, Jesus. And you are the bread from heaven um, that fills us. And so we want you this morning and we believe this is your word, these holy scriptures that you, God, have somehow miraculously preserved throughout uh, centuries and centuries and handed down to us. And we live in a country, God, where we, we can have a copy of it in the translation of our choice, of the study Bible of our choice. Whatever, whatever we want, God, we have it and we can read it. And, and then we can stand publicly and just proclaim it freely. Um, no one is stopping us from doing that. So I pray we take advantage of that. We'd realize the um, honor that it is to do that. And, and we just want you to speak to us, God. We want to hear from you. Uh, I don't have anything to say, God, uh, that is going to be helpful for, for anyone. It's your Holy Spirit who will speak and transform hearts and lives. So we just ask you to do that this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to uh, use your imaginations this morning. Does that sound fun for anyone? All the artists in the room, creative people. Okay. With me on a Meet with the creator of the We want to experience him. We want to hear what he has to say to us. To a giant courtyard in the middle of the Sinai, Mount Sinai. So you find. Good morning. Come on. Okay. 
creative thing, so. It's over here, doing Approaching the. All the way around, so you can't really see inside. Um, these are uh, chairs woven throughout curtains. There's something amazing in there. This 150 feet long, which yards half. Uh, yards wide. And there's only one place to enter. There's one opening, one curtain. Uh, courtyard. And so you walk in, you have a sack. It could be an animal, it could be a bull. Got out and things over the top of it. It's got type of curtains around it, so you can't see. Inside. There appears to be one entrance in front of you into this tabernacle within the courtyard. You see bronze-covered altar, and there are ready to take your sacrifice. Bring this animal. The reason you brought it is because you're a sinner. You need your sin to be forgiven before you can approach God. So you bring it to the table. They're done with the blood around the altar. Then the priests go forward and and priest walking up to a bronze basin. This huge basin filled with water. At this point, farther. So now, we'll take one of the priests. So the priest is at the basin, is washing. through the tent. Through the, you're in the tent. Immediately you notice the tent is filled with just filling the filling the room. You look to your right with bread on it. Huge table. So it's a huge lampstand. One tall bronze post with six branches coming out, three on each side, with, with engravings and carvings of leaves, like all, almond, all these things on 
seven arms total on the slam stand on your left. Forward. Right now you're in what's called the holy place, but beyond that curtain is the, the most holy place. It's the holy of holies. And right in front of the curtain, there's a bronze altar of incense. That's where the incense is coming off. And by the way, the incense is, is lit on the altar of incense 24-7 by the priest. never goes out. The lamp that's on your left is always lit 24-7. Always. You're the priest. Holy place, and you can only do it once. On behalf of the of Israelites, who could be up to three million people, possibly including women and children, living in the Sinai Desert, you walk in once a year into this place. Pull back the curtain, and you walk in. What's called the Ark of the Covenant, a huge ark. Uh, about on top of the ark, which is covered in gold. Cherubim, carved, facing each other, other with their wings, covering their faces and pointed toward one another. On top of this ark, which the cherubim rest on, is called the mercy seat or the covering. And inside of this are the, the commandments that God gave to Moses on the mountain or inside of this. This is the place where God said, I will dwell and I will meet with you and I will speak to you. So as the priest, you offer all the things that God commanded to atone for sin and the sins of all. And by the way, you live through the experience because if you do anything wrong, you will most likely die. Then you walk out. That's the worship service of the Israelites, Exodus chapter 25. A little different from what we do this morning, right? How is it different this morning, what we're doing? In what ways? We, we came to worship God. I mean, I'm, I'm banking on that most of you did, or at least would like to. <laughs> we get to be here together. Oh, that's great. Nice. No what? No ephods. It's not an iPod. We're in Portland, Oregon. Great. We are definitely not in the desert. (laughs) No doubt. You left your animal at home. All right. Yeah. Okay. Come directly to God ourselves. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Wherever and whenever we want, we can come to God. Yeah. Some scholars among us. We're not going to touch on that today, but yes. In case the priest dies in the Holy of Holies, there was a cord so that they could pull them out. Because if you go in to get them, you'll probably die too. Crazy. Anything else you guys think of? Just comes to you. Those are big ones. Uh, Jesus lives in us now, that God 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, as far as we know, God said this is where I'm residing. My presence is in this most holy place. You want to come be as close as you possibly can to me? This is where you find me. Now we have that within us to believe. Yeah, it's amazing. There's no veil, no curtain. Yeah. Pretty awesome. All right. Good stuff. Exodus 25. Let's jump in here. We are going to uh, fly through a bunch of stuff uh, quickly and have some pictures and some things to help. I'm going to draw a little bit on the board because I don't want it to feel like a geometry class because Exodus 25 to 27 is this really exciting, breathtaking description of the exact measurements of the tabernacle. <laughs> if you like reading geometry or um, archaeological plans, then you'll really enjoy reading this. Um, so instead of just reading it dry all the way through, we're really going to try to bring it to life a little bit, help you picture it. If you're like me, anybody like pictures? Yes. Love pictures. Yes. Love pictures. Okay. We got some of those. Okay. So this is huge. Uh, last week... Um, Royce uh, shared, it was, it was Royce, yes. Royce shared with you. I know what's going on here. Um, shared with you about the covenant that God, the commandments God made, gave to Moses, the covenant he made with him. So, so we know the Israelites have gone, passed through the Red Sea, out of Egypt, out of slavery. They're headed toward the promised land. They're in the desert. They're at the foot of Mount Sinai, where God is dwelling. And he's giving his commandments, and, and Moses is in the very presence of God. There's fire on the mountain. It's crazy, so crazy and scary that the people said, God said he would talk directly to the Israelites. They said, thank you, we appreciate that, but we'd rather just have Moses go up there because we're that scared. Pretty crazy. Um, have you ever heard people say, like, if I could just see God, I would believe? You probably, you don't want to do that. It could be very scary for you and frightening. This is, this is a holy God. So now, God is speaking to Moses. Let's give it in the covenant. And then he tells him to build something, to build a tabernacle. And this is so important that it takes up roughly 13 chapters of Exodus. 13 chapters either directly talk about, describe the building of the tabernacle, or allude to it or in the context of it, um, which which is about a third of Exodus. So, pretty important thing, right? It's included in this, um, in the book. Chapter 25, verse 1. Let's just start reading. Let's dig in. Here we go. Exodus 25. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. God likes to take an offering. All right. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. I love that. Isn't that awesome? God's not saying, like, I require everyone to bring this. He's saying, let those whose heart moves them, those who, who feel like I have, I have something to give here, to sacrifice, and I, and I want to do that. I want to be a part of what God wants to do. He's, he's giving us, and he gives us an opportunity to voluntarily come to him. Isn't that beautiful? He invites us. It's not like this, this uh, dictator that forces us to do it. So he says, invite them, whoever... Every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive a contribution for me. 
And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breast, breast piece. And then he says this, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, you shall make it. Okay, first off, we see the word sanctuary and the word tabernacle. God is saying, basically, I'm providing a place where I'm going to come down with you and dwell with you, my people. That's amazing. And it's going to be in a tabernacle. It may look uh, something like this picture. Here's all the Israelites. They were living in tents in the desert, the foot of Mount Sinai. He tells them, which we're going to see in a moment, to build something that looks like this. In the middle of that courtyard is a tent. So here's what's mind-blowing about this. You have to stop for a second and think about this and to this time what it would have been like for one of them. Okay, your house, if you're one of the Israelites, it's a tent. That's just how you roll back then, right? You got a tent. You, you put it up every day. When you move, you take it down. There are, there are nomads, they're traveling. Set it up again. It's a big chore. It's, it's not just like this. Anybody have like camping tents? I mean, like, how hard is it to put up a camping tent? You know, well, is it just me? <laughs> I'm just like, dude, I, I swear there are more poles in this in here. I don't know what's going on. I can't get this thing up. It's like a bunch of, you know, plastic or whatever with some poles. It's like, there's nothing. It's just a big space. You walk in there, anchored into the ground. These were a little more complicated than that, okay? This was like a, this was huge. It was like a house. They had furniture in there, okay? They had tables, Maybe a table, a lampstand, a place to sleep. All these things were in here, in their tent. This was their home. This was their house. God's saying, I want to come down and live among you, and I'm going to live in a tent just like you. Isn't that amazing? I mean, this is the God, the creator of the entire universe. Nothing is beyond him. You think, you know, he would say, I'm going to come down, but I'm going to live in this really sweet palace. I'm just going to, boom, put it down there, and that's where I'm going to dwell while you guys are in your little tents. I'm God. He comes down into a tent. I mean, given it's a little bigger than theirs, okay? It's got gold in it, all right? But still, that's good. He's God. But, but there's something amazing about that. He says, build for me, build me. I mean, imagine Moses listening to this. Okay, I want you to build for me. Okay, what's this going to be? It's going to be something amazing. Like, build me a tent. It's like, oh, okay. Put a table in there and a lamp, <laughs> you know? It's like God coming down saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in a house on your street in St. John's with you guys, Red Sea. I'm going to live there in that with you guys. Wherever you guys go, I'm going to be going with you. I'm going to lead you there, but I'm going to go with you. His tent's going to be packed up and moved. Um, in the New Testament, a little bit later, uh, John, the apostle, would say this on the next slide. Actually, John didn't say that. I said that. <laughs> okay, first off, this is the first thing we learned today. We're going to learn three things I think we can pull from this. They're really simple things. They're things that you probably already know, okay? But I want them to really to, to hit home for us this morning. The first one is just, just simply this. God wants to live with his people. Now, if I just said that to you, you'd be like, oh, yeah, of course. 
One's lunch, right? No. God wants to live with his people. He wants to live with us. He wants, maybe a way I could bring this home personally for you is he wants to be with you. He want, God wants to be with you. That's insane, you guys. That's any religions of this time period, the religions of today. This is the one thing that separates the Judaic Christian religion, and particularly Christianity, is that God seeks us out and wants to be with us. He's not waiting for us to find him, to work our way up to him. He's coming down. He has the desire to be with us. So John, the apostle, would say this in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word dwelt there is, is tabernacle in Greek. What he basically is saying is, it's like a verb, he tabernacled among us. He tented among us. Like the word, the Son of God, who was in the beginning, God of God, very God, came down in a tent with us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is what the message translation says. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. What a great translation. Obviously, that's not the Greek. But it relays the meaning. It brings us home for us. He moved into the neighborhood. He built, he built a house on your street to be with you, to, hang, to, to live with you on your block. The tent that he came down in later was flesh and blood. That, think about that for a second. He didn't come down as some superhuman being. He wrapped himself up in a tent just like ours. It's called skin. Isn't that amazing? That's the way he chooses to come down and be with us. And I think it says something about how much he wants to be with us. Just, it blows my mind. That's what he's done in Christ. Uh, this next verse says this about God dwelling among us. Revelation 21. This is the end of the Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and he will be, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Isn't that amazing? Not just like he wants to do it for a while. <laughs> for all of eternity. This is heaven. Heaven's not up out there somewhere where you're going to be issued wings and a harp and float around, right? Because most of us, that doesn't sound very exciting, does it? Let's just be honest. I mean, it doesn't sound exciting. Maybe if it was a guitar. Maybe a little more exciting. God living on earth, but it's new. God's going to come down and live with us. Dwell with us for eternity. That's insane, you guys. It's mind-blowing. Do I have another verse up there? Yes. Continues. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold... Oh, I already did that. Is there one after this? No? Yes, I wanted to throw this in. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So, just kind of bring into the context. This is a beautiful thing. This is the God. This is the point. God wants to be with his people. I don't know why, how that works. I just know it's true. That's what the Bible tells us. It's a major theme in the Bible that God wants to be with us. So let's take a moment 
Exodus 25, we're going to see what this tabernacle, what this tent looks like that God is going to dwell in. We're going to take a little peek inside. Here we go, verse 10. So he's going to create um, some, some furniture, okay? Some things that go inside of this tent. So we're going to look at what some of those are. First one is this, the Ark of the Covenant. Anyone seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Indiana Jones? Okay. So that's the Ark of the Covenant. That's what they're looking for. Here's what it says. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length. A cubit and a half its breadth. cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and outside you shall overlay it. And you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it. Put them on its four feet. Two rings on one side of it. Two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood. Overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherubim on the one end, and one cherubim on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I give to you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat... From between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. The first thing we have is an Ark, right? So we'll just make a little, uh, that's too big. Let's make a little square. Like this, rectangle. Okay, that's the Ark. There's some cherubim. I'm not going to... Attempt to even draw those. Uh, it says it's two and a half cubits long. How long is a cubit? Anybody know? Wow. Scholars among us. 18 inches. So two and a half cubits is, you can calculate that out later when you get home. Find out how big that is. Uh, good size, you know. We're not going to get too detailed in the measurements today. I didn't do well in math class, so. 45. 45. Corey, thank you. Um, okay, so you got an Ark of the Covenant. There's a mercy seat on top. There's cherubim. What, what happens on the mercy seat? God says, that is where I will dwell. That is where you will meet with me face to face, and I will speak to you. Amazing. That's what's going to happen in the Ark of the Covenant. may have looked something like this. Possibly. That's not the actual Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> Looks like it could be, though, doesn't it? It's a good picture. Thank you, Google. Okay. Continuing on. Next item. The table for bread. You shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around it, a hand breadth wide, and a molding of gold around the rim. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Close to the frame the ring shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. 
You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and its dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls with which to drink for drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. This is what is so God is saying, I want the priest to provide bread on this table regularly, continually, 24-7. There will be bread on this table. It might look something like this, possibly. So that is there. So let's draw our bread. Here is our table with bread on it. Beautiful. It looks like something else, like a, I don't know. A robot. Binoculars, that's what it is. Thank you. Uh, I apologize. Okay, it's very small. There's a reason it's that small. Okay, but I just want to make sure we have... Maybe I'll make this bigger so you can see. Arc. Bread. Okay. We're going to do something with these in a minute, so bear with me. Okay. So we have the bread of the presence. Remind you of anything? Communion. Jesus said, I am the bread from heaven. You must come eat of me and find life, right? God wants bread to be in there. And we know that at ancient times, um, bread meant, this is a meal. You're sharing a meal together. It's fellowship. Food and fellowship go together in this culture. And ours, not so much. We have McDonald's, all these kind of things. Does anybody like that? Eating is huge in the Bible. Do you know that? It's a spiritual act. It's biblical. Eating. Jesus ate with people all the time. Isn't that awesome? Who says it's boring to be a Christian? You get to eat. It's amazing. Okay. So we don't want to stretch too far on these. And, you know, there's a lot of implications that these have and illusions that they draw. We just keep it really simple here. God has bread in this place. He's, He's inviting people into fellowship. Reminds us of Jesus, the bread from heaven. Reminds them of the manna that he gave to them in the desert to eat, to feed them. This was bread. Continuing on. Next item, the golden lampstand. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. There shall be six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it, three branches of lampstand out of the other side of it, three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches out of the lampstand. We're not going to read all of this. You kind of get the picture. He wants them to build this lampstand that might look something like this. And we know that in another place, it says, uh, it might be the next verse I have up here. I may not have it. What's next? No. Okay. So we know from another place uh, later on in Exodus that this is to be lit. These lamps are to be lit continually. There's continually to be light burning 24 hours a day in the temple. There's to be light in there. What does this signify? On the stems, on the branches, we have um, olive blossoms, right? What, what does that remind you of? What concept? Like Life? Almonds. <laughs> Reminds you of almonds. Yes. Almonds are good. Almond blossoms. Yeah. Did I say almonds? Oh, I'm sorry. 
I meant almond blossoms. And by almonds, I mean almond blossoms. Um, Life. There's life. He has that signified on this. But there's also light, right? In the passage in John that we just read a few moments ago, John chapter 1, the Word became flesh. Before that, it says, in him was life. That life was the light of all men, of all people. He's the light of the world. This is Jesus. God is saying, I am the light. Light illuminates. It helps us to see, to see the truth. So this is in there. Moving on. Chapter 26. We're just going to do the opening of this. This is the long one. This is the one that geometry students will love. Chapter 26, verse 1. Moreover, you shall make a tabernacle and ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with the cherubim skillfully worked into them. He goes into the length of those things. Basically, there's going to be a tent. This is the the tabernacle surrounded by curtains. So let's draw that, okay? We'll start bigger for us. All right. Tabernacle. This is, you know this, but just in case, north, east, west, south. Okay. So, surrounded by border all the way around. He's going to go on to say in there that there are going to be uh, goat skins and goat hair and all these things. They're going to build a covering that goes over the tent. So a tent covering to protect it from rain and all those kind of things. The curtains themselves are interesting because they're royal colors. I mean, they didn't have the colors that we have today available. So that, that represented royalty. The blue, the purple, the red, all those things. But particularly, there will be cherubim woven into the curtains. So these are, like, going to be beautiful-looking curtains. But I don't know about you, if you're like me, when I read this, first thing, the first thing I'm thinking is, if God was telling me to do that, I'd be, I'd be thinking, you want cherubim woven into it? Is anybody artistic in here? Like, does that sound fun to them? Weaving some cherubim? Okay, if he just said, like, draw a picture of a cherubim on it, I'd be like, are you sure? Because it might look something, you know, like this. People walk up to the sanctuary, they're like, God lives in there? Okay. This, this horrible drawing of like cherubim, like, that's supposed to be a cherubim, trust me, just walk in and go. Um, so, so I'm thinking, okay, how are they going to pull this off? I mean, this is like a major building project, but then you got these major artistic things, like, really? Like, weave these beautiful cherubim into this thing. How do they do it? Well, this is just a side note, but if you jump ahead in chapter 31, God says something really cool. Chapter 31, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bazalel, the son of Un, son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones and setting, and the carving of wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed him with Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. 
the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat, the furnishings of the tent, etc., etc. He actually reiterates this a little bit later, so it's an important piece in this. Isn't, and I just think on a side note, we can't get into it, the word that's used here for God is Elohim, which is interesting, because you don't see that word for a while, sent before, after Genesis chapter 1. What is God doing in the first chapters of Genesis? He's creating. He's creating everything. This is the name of the creator God, Elohim. He says, I will put the spirit of the creator of God in him to help him, to give him intelligence, to help him as, as he's being artistic and all those things. Now, I think this guy, Bezalel, was probably already an artistic person. I mean, he probably wasn't some engineer who can't draw anything. Or, you know what I mean? He's probably already a creative, artistic type person. But look what happens when, the, when a holy God comes and fills that person with his spirit and blesses that and moves that artistic ability to create things that give him glory. Isn't that amazing? Like as an artist, as a creative person, you can rejoice this morning, okay? So we have a creative God. I love that, like even when we're doing music up here and those types of things, it says, play skillfully to the Lord over and over again. Why is that? God wants to do that. He, want, he wants us to be able to make beautiful music that glorifies him and draws us to him. So whatever you do, it's an amazing, amazing truth that God does that, gives us a spirit. And that's how they pulled this off. I'm sure it looked amazing. So, so we got the tabernacle. It's built. It's got the curtains around it, all those things. Um, and then we jump ahead here a little bit. And he says something, an, another item that's really important in verse 31 of chapter 26. Verse 31 says, And you shall make a veil of blue, purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on the four pillars of the acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of, of gold on the four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy place. You shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. And you shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle opposite the table. And you shall put the table on the north side. So, let's draw it. Ready? Here we go. Okay. So, he's separating these places. This is supposed to be a perfect square, which is probably not. This is the most holy place. This is the veil right here. It says, make a veil. It's going to separate two places within the tent. So inside the tent, there's two places. You know this, might know this as the Holy of Holies. Most holy. Oops. Or holy, sorry. And holy place. What's inside the most holy place? This guy right here. I, I, I heard some grunts and moans. It sounded like Ark, though. Ark? Yeah. The ark with its poles, right? For carrying. Might look something like this from the top view. Ark. Cherubim, made out of pure gold. What do we have in here? You guys remember? Looking in there? Lamp stand, where does that go? South side. South side. All right. 
move our lampstand. Okay, lamp. Thank you. Spirit of God is filling me with artistic ability right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, what else is in there? Bread. Table of bread right here. Bread of the presence. Okay. We also have one more thing that's mentioned a little bit later. I think I have it up here. Verse. Um, no. I don't know if I put that in there. It does say later, not in our chapters here, but there's an altar of incense. So let's just put it in there for the sake of time. There's an altar here that's burning incense. I did not spell that right. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> I'm messing up your tabernacle. Okay. Incense is going out throughout. That's just a little creative touch there. Okay. So, I'm going to draw squiggly lines for the curtain here. There's a curtain to enter on the east side into the holy place. We have the bread, the lamp, the incense. Another curtain going into the most holy place. It's a little smaller. It's a perfect cube, which is interesting. The Ark of the Covenant is in there. So, here's the next thing we learn. That I have somewhere. Because of we cannot be with God. Bringing it down. Bummer. God wants to be with us. It's amazing truth. Because of our sin, we can't be with him. Check it out. Can't go in here. Can't go in here can't go in here. Only one guy can go in here. There's a veil separating. So here we're starting to see tension is that God wants to dwell with his people. He wants to be with us, but we we can't be with him. We can't because he is holy. He is perfect. We have sinned and rebelled against him. Something has to be done to get us to him, and we can only get so far even with what he's provided. He's provided a way. He's provided a a sacrificial system, which we'll see in a second, and priests in this temple, and a way to get to here and to have sin forgiven and get to him. This is the next thing. The final items we look at is this. Chapter 27. The bronze altar. You shall make the altar of acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. You shall make horns for it on its four corners. Its horn shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. You shall make pots for it to receive its ashes, which will come from the animals being burned. And shovels and basins and forks and fire pans, you shall make all of the utensils of bronze. You shall also make for it a grating, a network of bronze. And the net you shall make for bronze rings at its four corners. You shall set it under the ledge of the altar so that the next extent, net extends halfway down the altar. You shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. And the poles shall be put through the rings so that the poles are on the two sides of the altar when it is carried. You shall make it hollow with boards as it has been shown you on the mountain. So shall it be made. It may have looked something like this. So we have altar bronze, made of bronze. Big, huge altar right here outside of the tent. There's horns on each side. 
This is where... What's, what happens on this? Do you guys know? Sacrifices, yeah. Animals are for the sins of the people and the sins of the priest. All right. One more thing that's not mentioned here, but is mentioned later, is that there will be a of water right here between these two places, the altar and the first veil into the holy place. With water, the place where they wash uh, the sacrifices, some of the meat and the things, as God commands them, where the priests cleanse themselves before they enter um, into this place. And finally, the court of the tabernacle, chapter 7, verse 9. Chapter 27, verse 9. You shall make the court of the tabernacle on the south side. The court shall have hangings of fine linen, of fine twine linen, a hundred cubits long for one side. Jump down to verse 18. The length of the court shall be a hundred cubits, the breadth fifty, and the height five cubits, with hangings of fine twine linen and bases of bronze, all the utensils of the tabernacle for every use, and all its pegs, and all the pegs of the court shall be made of bronze. Okay. So, huge courtyard. A thing like this. The length of this one. 150 feet. About 50. Half the length of a football field. 25 feet this way. About 8 feet high. This covered with curtains. All the way around. So you can't see inside until you're in. There's only one way in. Right here on the east side. Okay. What does this tell us? Tells us that God has provided a way for us to be with him. Isn't that amazing? So what about this tells us that we can't be with God? Okay, here's a few interesting things. What is everything in here made out of? It's one of the main elements. Gold, yeah. What's everything out here made out of? Bronze. Interesting, isn't it? Gold. This is, this is a better place <laughs> right here. What's dividing? How many curtains are there? Does it get harder and harder as you get closer to this? Yeah, it gets harder. How many people can go in here? One person. One time a year. In here is the Ark of the Covenant. On the Ark is the mercy seat. The word in Hebrew is kapara. kapara or, sorry, I'm I've been practicing Spanish. I rolled my R's. Let's just do that. Capara or caparet. We get the, the word capa as well. Translates in a few places in the New Testament into hilasterion. And we see it in places where it says, he is the propitiation for our sins. It says it in Romans. It says it in 1 John. The word propitiation or sacrifice of atonement, if you have the NIV of our translation, you have is literally the mercy seat. That's what it is. It's that same word that's used here. God is saying, I'm going to have mercy on you and allow you to come into my presence. The cherubim signify the cherubim that are around, the angels that are around God in his throne room. From this mercy seat, 
where my word is contained, this is the place I will speak to you. I, even speaking to a person is God having mercy on them because they shouldn't be allowed to come in here, right? That's how holy of a place this is. It sheds new light on what Jesus did for us, what actually happened on the cross. Now, let's, make, let's draw some conclusions here as we look toward Jesus and we prepare ourselves for communion. So, how many ways are there into the, tab- uh, to the courtyard? All right. One way in. Starting to make some connections. Thinking Jesus. One way to get to the Father. Right here. There's one way into the tent. What do you have to do before you can get in here? This baby. Sacrifice. Can't go around. Sacrifice for your sin. Something has to die right here for your sin. Washed and cleansed. Then you can come in. Not God's presence into the holy place. And then only one person to the most holy place. After sacrifice has been given for his sin, for the sins of the people, he enters here. Wow. A little difficult to get to God, isn't it? But isn't it amazing how he's made a way? Look at It's so difficult. He's so holy. He's so hard to get to. And yet he chooses to, to come in a tent. Right? He chooses to make it accessible for people. He chooses to provide something else to die besides the person. Um, there's a, a, a verse in here talking about uh, the ceremonial washings. And it says, like, tell Aaron and his sons to do this so that they don't die. It says it like twice. So they don't die. We're supposed to be, you and me are supposed to be right here. That's me. It's supposed to just end right here. I've sinned against a holy God. He's given me everything. I've rebelled against him. Wages of sin is death. Come on up, lay yourself here. It's over. God says, nope, I'll allow something else to come in. Now you move here and here, and I forgive you. And I I give you life. Isn't that amazing? Now, Hebrews tells us that the priests offer sacrifices again and again and again and again. It can never fully cleanse us from sin because if it did, you wouldn't have to come back, right? You've got to keep coming back, keep coming back, offering, offering. But then God gives us, comes down in a tent in human skin, which is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lives a perfect life in the tent, which we couldn't do, and lays down his own life on the altar. Son of God dies for the place of all humanity, every single person. And we know that this right here ripped in two. Now we have Jesus, me, I'm out here, I come right in, right there. Is that insane or what? And this is right here. When I trust in him, when I, when I say, yes, thank you, I trust you, done it for me. God says, now my spirit that was right here, this insane place you can't even imagine, it's right inside of you now. Isn't that insane? Let's look at three verses as we wrap it up, prepare ourselves for communion. Implications of this. First one, the next verse, Hebrews 9 through 12. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. 
It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was the second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowed. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests so regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentions of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations of the body imposed until the time of Reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places by means of the blood of, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. Amen? Revelation at the end, it says this, And I saw no temple in the city, For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Isn't that amazing? uh, Jesus has this conversation with a woman uh, from Samaria, the book of John chapter 4. They get into a theological discussion about worship. He says this, simply this to her. She says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. After this, God had King Solomon build an actual temple of this. Huge temple. It was destroyed, rebuilt. That would be the second temple which existed during the time of Jesus. That was in Jerusalem. He said, and then she, Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. What's, he, what's this really saying ultimately? Is that this doesn't exist anymore. The temple's Jesus. Wherever Jesus is, that's where you go to worship the living God in the holy place. Where is Jesus? Exalted at the right hand of the Father, ever present. He's here with us this morning. We can, we can worship in the most holy place. Two practical implications. I'll leave the details to you. First Corinthians. Do you not know that you collectively are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Okay, just think about all this and saying this. And now he's saying Red Sea Church right here. This is the temple of God now. Holy Spirit dwells in you collectively. So I could give you all kinds of practical implications. Don't do bad things. Do this, do that. I'm just going to let you let that sink into you and hope that you spend some time and that we together spend some time meditating on what, what are the implications of that if that is true. Lastly, 
individually? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Think about that as you're living your Christian life this week. That's the reality, man. From a God's eye view, just a reminder, like I need this reminder, what God has done in me and in us is absolutely insane. I mean, really, it's not fair. It's unjust. It's ridiculous. That's how, when John says, he's la- look at the love he's lavished on us. John is getting this, and he's just like, God has just absolutely astounded the intelligence of the intelligent. He's gone beyond common sense, and he's just dumped love that we do not deserve on top of us. And with all of that, I can still be distracted. I can still take it for granted. I can still choose to disobey him and sin. It's amazing. That's how sinful we still are. But thanks to the blood of the Lamb, we have hope. So we're coming this morning, and we're just going to take some time to sing a few songs. And there is bread up here. Table with bread on it. This is the bread of the present, so to speak. We don't believe this is actually the body of Christ. But Jesus told us to take this to remember that his body was given on a cross for us. This represents his blood that was spilled for us on the cross. Where I should have been, Jesus was there for me. And it goes beyond that. He says, I want to give you life, life-giving. I want to give light to you. I want to give you life to your, to your dying bones. I want to live through you and give you joy to the fullest. It's amazing. Let's meditate and think about that as we sing these songs. At any point during the music, you can come forward and you can take this. Just break off a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice or the wine, and we remember what he has done for us. And we're filled with gratefulness together. Will you just close your eyes? We're going to move uh, to the stage to prepare to, to sing. And just take a moment to think about what, what are we doing here and to come before the living God who is here with us. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.